Hello and welcome to Spotlight 32. Today we're going to be talking to Senior Airman David Eckersell. How's it going? Going well. Going well. Going fantastic. Fantastic today. It's a beautiful day today. Did it, any good stuff over the weekend? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, played paintball, got all cut up and bruised, and you know took some battle scars home. Okay. Had a lot of fun. I've only done paintball a couple times, but every time I walked away feeling pretty good. Um, yeah, paintball's my favorite sport. I mean, you know, it's it's a, always a good time. It's adrenaline rush every time too, and it's always just you you can never go wrong playing. So I've played two different types of paintball. I played like the normal stuff with all like the blow up, um, kind of cover and stuff like that. But I've also played it like out in the woods with more natural cover. What do you? Yeah. Do? So I play on a charity team. Uh, we are always just playing for fun. We uh -huh. never play in tournaments and stuff. Uh, the stuff with the blow up stuff that's called speedball, uh -huh. uh, where it's like everybody has what I call space guns. You know, they shoot twenty balls per second kind of thing. Uh -huh. it, capped at 10.2 but a lot of people shoot you know you, you have balls flying everywhere and uh it's it's always a fun time uh and then you the what you're calling is is woods ball um and my team we specify in scenario games which often happen in the woods okay. uh there's been games where there's been like abandoned army forts and so people get in touch with you know the the dod and like you know They'll, they'll get in touch with people somehow. I don't know. I'm not a, <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm just a person who plays. <laughs> no, that but sounds awesome though. We, we've had abandoned army forts that we've been able to play at. We've had, uh, there's one field that's got like two helicopters that were taken down or whatever. And, you know, they, they've got huge fields out there. It's, it's a crazy. really fun time. So let's see you, this is a team. Are there like positions in, in paintball or is it so i mean for speedball there's all sorts of positions and stuff right you know, you know it's all comes down to communication and that's why i love playing paintball is because it's all about communication and talking to people and i am huge on communication talking up and down all around you know uh -huh. and, it, and another big thing about it is having situational awareness you know how many of your teammates are in how many of their teammates are in uh in speedball at least right uh, i'd I don't play speedball as much as I should, but um, it's all about communication. And, I, and uh, in speedball, there's all positions. You know, there's, you got people at 50-yard line, 20-yard line, Dorito, Snake, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just all call-outs. You constantly hear people shouting. It's a fun time for sure. Okay. See, we were never that into it because it was just a bunch of us. I, I think I was maybe probably the most experienced one there. <laughs> the last time I went and I'd only gone once so that's really setting the bar pretty low yeah my team we're all about making sure new players have a good time and play uh when we play with rookies we you know we will only shoot one ball at a time at them kind of thing and we just make sure everybody has a good time and that's what I try to do you know usually we'll have like one or two little kids who play with us or uh -huh. who are playing with the rental group and so what we'll do is we'll have like the little kid, we'll protect him and have him run up and bunker somebody. And, okay. you know, he, he's just having a blast, you know, shooting people point blank. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they shouldn't, but you know, they do cause they're little kids. You can't really. You, yeah. You can't control it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's okay. That sounds great. I like the, the inclusive aspect right there. Um, you had mentioned that you're on a charity team. Is that yeah. charity for a specific group or. Yes. Yeah, so. Okay. We we uh we do two main uh two main charities. We have one for Pathfinders for Autism, uh, the puzzle piece. I'm not sure if you've ever seen those yeah. in April. Yeah. So we work directly with Pathfinders, and then another is Red Devils Breast Cancer Advocacy Group. So those who are affected by breast cancer, the funds go directly towards them and can help them with you know their bills their medical bills their home bills whatever whatever that person may need and uh so far in the past five years i think we've raised somewhere around thirty thousand dollars we oh, have an wow. event coming up in october for them so uh we're going to be combining the two because covid delayed our april event so oh, sure. the two charities are going to come together in october it'll be a really great time that's awesome let's go back to that in just a little bit um 
In the meantime, though, let's get a little personal intro for you. What's good for us to hear about you? What's something that you wish people might you know, know about you outside of the Air Force? Um, I have moved all over the U.S. Um, I enlisted at 19, tried getting in at 18, but medical reasons kept me uh, back, so mm-hmm. couldn't do that. Uh, I've lived all over the U.S. Um, I'm ready to travel outside of the U.S., and that's sure. why I joined the Air Force. Um, I also used it as an echelon to get into the tech industry because uh, I couldn't afford college, and I couldn't. I got accepted everywhere. Couldn't afford it, but so and I knew to get into the technology industry, I had to have some sort of job experience, and the only way to do that really was through the military because people don't really hire high school students out of the gate. Uh, unless they're certified in some sort of way and I was not so and I knew the military could provide that for me and I picked Air Force because uh well most of the time we're cyberspace dominant so sure so when you're talking about tech um what aspect of the tech industry are you talking about uh I am huge on networking um I'm a cyber transport technician uh that got by luck. <laughs> uh-huh. I was I went in General Electric cuz I was oh, just wow. happy anything anything electronics I'm very happy with. So uh but I was lucky and very fortunate to get Cyber Transport Systems which directly deals with networking cuz mm-hmm. I took courses in high school for it and I was very addicted to it. So I continued from that point on and loved it ever since. That's great. I came in as a one and two i picked that actually picked the wrong type of intel um i didn't mean to do signals i was trying to do rpa stuff Mm -hmm. um which i'm kind of glad i didn't get now just because i know that they don't have the best um work-life balance yeah yeah for sure uh, yeah that's okay uh you know if it's something I really want, maybe I'll cross train or something. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that option's always available. That's exactly. another thing I love about the Air Force. <laughs> yeah. So where have you been inside the US? Uh so I have traveled in the US almost all fifty states. Okay. The only states I'm missing is California and Hawaii. So I've I've traveled everywhere. I've moved cross country in my life probably six or seven times. Whew. Um that was all before I was 18 and then post 18 when I got married. Um, yeah, I'm 22 now. So I got married pretty young. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, when I got married, I had to move cross country another two or three times. The air force moved me two or three times, you know, <laughs> moving from tech school. Uh-huh. Uh, and yeah, so I've traveled a lot. <laughs> so when I, first off, I was married at 20, 21 i think maybe 22 yeah i can't remember it's been five years so yeah 21 (laughs) i'm so bad at time it's yeah that's a whole different subject um yeah we did the move we actually moved from california all the way to tampa florida um and then we stayed there for a while and then i joined up and uh yeah so I, i i don't understand going back and forth as many times as you have um but is it you know, are you a military brat? Is that why? No, not a military brat. My parents just love to move. Really? <laughs> I have no clue why, but we moved all over the place. My favorite place to live, though, has been Alaska. We lived in Anchorage for a few years, and I, oh, wow. I've i always wanted to go back. I got to go TDY there once, and oh, man, it was a blast, and I cannot wait to go back up there. So what was it about Alaska that you liked so much? Uh, the outdoorsy aspect of it. It's okay. beautiful. Like practically everywhere you go, you have mountains. Uh, the downside is obviously it's cold, but I love the cold. I am prone to the cold. I hate the humidity of Maryland. I hate the the heat, but you know, you deal with what you are given and adapt. But I love the cold of Alaska. I also love the wildlife and the nature that's up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to go fishing in the Russian, the Kenai. The oh, fishing wow. up there is the best fishing in the world. People make trips dedicated to going to Alaska just to go fishing. And I was very fortunate enough to live there and go fishing. My dad, uh, there's pictures of me 
of where I'm actually fishing off the back of our four wheeler in the middle of the Kenai river. It's amazing. That's I awesome. loved, I loved it. And you know, you get pink, you get the king salmon that are huge. They they can they can get really big. My uh, dad had a one of those fishing stories. Okay. <laughs> My dad had a two hundred pound test line. So this fish, he was we were combat fishing. Alaska has combat fishing, which is where you're practically shoulder to shoulder with people and you know, people get very competitive about their spots and it's an open carry state, so uh people yeah there's been stories of people being shot allegedly Uh (laughs) over a fishing spot i'm not sure how accurate that is but that's what i've been told and that's why it's called combat fishing i understand yep Um, makes perfect sense so my dad was fishing and this big old king salmon jumps up out of the water and he's yelling at me to grab the net and i see it jump out of the water and it had to have been at least a it snapped a 200 pound test line. So you can imagine how big this fish was jumping out. But, okay. So I, I've done my fair share of fishing, but for it to snap a 200 pound test line, mm-hmm. how much freezer space do you think that thing's going to take? If you, <laughs> uh, we had a really big deep freezer cause we were advent fishers. Uh-huh. So, uh, it probably would have taken up half the deep freezer, though. <laughs> he would have yeah. probably spent a good bit of time cutting I, that thing up. Yeah, no, I, you know, I did a lot of mostly freshwater fishing. I've done like ocean stuff a couple times. Never fly fishing, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I was always used to, to gutting like freshwater trout and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I can only imagine, you know, I'm standing over a trout and it's a relatively small fish so having something that enormous has got to be it's great satisfying yeah it's it's the best feeling ever when you catch a king salmon or any sort of salmon for that nature that's awesome so you did the fishing up there did you do any kind of hunting or anything like that uh i was really young so no i did not get to i only lived up there for when i was uh probably six to eight years old Okay. So I, I was really young, but I still remember it very avidly, and it okay. was the best. Uh, we had moose in our backyard a few times as well. That was always a fun time. Uh, the schools had moose drills. Alaska's the <laughs> only state that has moose drills. <laughs> okay. So if you see a moose, you know, they, they shout moose, 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 and you run inside kind of thing. Uh, it's a good time. Uh, they also are the only school district that in, a, in the event of a blizzard, you're still going outside for recess <laughs> and crazy. still at school. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was a lot of fun. We, our school had a, I, I do remember our school had a hill and it's in the back in the, in the playground area. And they would give you little plastic, like it was just a plastic sheet basically. And you could pull it up and make it a sled. And they gave wow. everybody sleds to go down the hills it was a lot of fun, for That's sure. Awesome though, I I know for a fact a lot of people haven't gotten to experience stuff like that. Um, I did, you know, California, so we had the Sierras right there. I lived in Utah twice, so we had all the Wasatch Mountains. Yeah, my um, wife's from Utah, so oh, I know all about Utah. Yeah. Okay. No, how did you meet your wife? <laughs> so I was in Idaho at the time because uh-huh. I was living with my family um, before I decided to join I wanted to live with a bunch of family and for a long time I was away from majority of my family um, so I was living in Idaho and I was waiting on the debt program you know how long you can wait usually in the debt program sure. especially with medical paperwork that I had I was waiting on a lot of paperwork that just was impossible to get uh-huh. and I was getting pretty lonely and I was like you know I don't know anybody out in Idaho other than my family and I need some friends so to find friends I jumped on tinder okay and I found my wife on tinder Uh, she was a student at BYU Idaho so uh, we just met there and kind of connected from that point on and ever since then we've been stuck together okay small world I I know quite a few people actually who have met their significant others on tinder um so it's not just a, a booty call kind of app. Um, Idaho does not make it a booty call app. I will tell you that for sure. The culture there is... I completely uh, believe that. Yeah. I was actually <laughs> born up in Rexburg. 
Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm from Rexburg. That's where I was. <laughs> oh, okay. There we go. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I totally, I totally know. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Small yeah. world. Well, no, even smaller is that my, my parents met at Rick's. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, for anybody listening, um, Rick's College is what BYU-Idaho was originally no, so it was it BYU bought out Rick's College. Oh, they bought it out. Okay. Yeah. Go, so Rick's College was they used to be two separate schools altogether, and Even then BYU better. just bought Rick's out altogether. There we go. So I don't have any recollection of Idaho whatsoever. I was pretty much born there, and that was it. Oh, um, it's a beautiful state. I don't doubt it. My so my wife is always saying if she wants to move to um, Montana. Um. Mm, that's a bit too <laughs> north, but <laughs> well. So what gets me is that she's a she's a California girl, and she's always lived in California, except for once I made her move to Tampa, and then since we PCS up here. So right. I don't know what the allure is of Montana because she's never experienced that. Um, um mountains, maybe, <laughs> maybe I don't know. She's a fairly she likes the people that she likes, and they're all in California. So I don't know. Um. I don't know. I think it's just a change of scenery that she wants to see. But yeah. um, when I've talked about some of the stuff that that might entail, like uh, shoveling your own. Uh, shoveling your driveway. Snow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pretty uh, much buying a four-wheeler so you can plow your driveway. <laughs> exactly. I don't have any problem. Well, I shouldn't say that. I do have problems with shoveling snow just because I feel like it gets so tedious to have to look out the window and be like, oh, man, there's another three inches. I could just uh, Montana gets more than three inches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing you'll, is, I, you'll, I want to stand get top of it. A foot. Yeah. Exactly. So I don't want to go out when there's a foot. I want to go out when there's less. That way I can deal with it and not be breaking my back the entire time. But so, going out every hour is terrible. I, like I said, I lived in Alaska, and I also lived in Pennsylvania for a good bit of my life. And Pennsylvania, uh, I lived north of Pittsburgh, uh -huh. and they get a lot, a lot, a lot of snow from lake effect snow because the Great Lakes cause their, you know, their clouds yeah. or whatever, and then they travel mm -hmm. down. Um, and I can remember, I think it was Superstorm Sandy was its name, I think we got at least a foot of snow and my mom was just always out there shoveling the driveway. Cause the, uh, our driveway, the plows never came to the city plows never came to. Ooh. So we had to shovel out quite a distance before the plows even touched our driveway. Uh -huh. So the neighbors would all be out there. She would be out there for an hour, at least just shoveling. And then it would only be piled over by another layer of snow. Yeah. So you have to go shovel it again. And another layer would come in. It was just, it's a tedious cycle, um, and I definitely hated shoveling snow for a long time, but mm -hmm. then I realized how much fun it could be if you just decide to build something afterwards. See, that was my thing. So we, uh, I was a military brat, and we were in Heidelberg, Germany. Um, mm -hmm. We had a really big snow one year, and my brother and I decided that we were going to make a snowman. Mm -hmm. So we started doing it, and then we didn't know any better. So we just kept rolling and rolling this one little bit of snow and we being young didn't think that we needed to turn it so we could round it out mm -hmm. um so we have a big cylinder of snow and it's to the point where we can't do anything with it uh some of the neighborhood kids came out and saw us and they started helping us and we turned it and we started rolling it some more but then it just got too big for us to roll and nobody made another ball for some reason so my dad gets home and he sees us doing this and he says, oh, I'll go play with them. He goes and he starts making this stuff and he just starts rolling the same ball also. Mm -hmm. He doesn't start his own. And soon we have this enormous first ball of uh, a snowman. Um, finally, we decide to stop and we start making another one and we don't know what to do because it's so enormous. It's taller than us, which isn't saying a whole lot because we're like, I'm nine maybe at this point in time. Right. Um, Anyway, so then one of my dad's buddies gets home and sees him doing that. And he says, oh, I'll go help him out. This looks like it's a lot. So we had these two pretty, you know, tall, in-shape army guys who are helping us make this snowman. And by the end of it, it, I don't know how tall it was, to be totally honest. My guess is about eight feet tall. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> because to get the last ball on top of the snowman, they had to get two ladders and prop it up against the snowman and then 
team carried up these ladders to put it on top. Oh yeah, that's definitely a huge. <laughs> yeah, it was it was awesome though. And then we became the talk of the the you know the apartment complex that we had there because everyone is coming by to go and see the approximately eight foot tall snowman. Oh, uh, that's crazy. We never had that. Um, I do remember. So my grandparents, uh, they lived in an apartment complex with a lot of kids um, because I imagine it was a lot of grandparents who lived in this complex so everybody's grandkids would go visit or whatever um and in alaska when we had the large snowstorms these kids built uh probably now being that i was eight years old it was probably over exaggerated but i would imagine they were at least seven foot tall fortresses that had enough space to fit like 10 kids inside the fort too that's awesome and there were two of them, so they had two giant forts in the middle of this complex. It was like a rectangular complex, and then the inside was all field. So they had one on each side of the rectangle, and we would do these giant snowball fights. Oh, yep. And then I on, wish. Yeah. On, <laughs> on top of that, my dad – or my, not my dad. My grandfather would take us, and he had a four-wheeler. So he would tie our sleds to the back of the four-wheeler <laughs> and drive us around and, t- and have us in our little tiny circular sleds just flying around as he's whipping around corners and stuff. It was always a fun time. That's awesome. So have you ever gone um, like tubing or wakeboarding? I have never done that, no. Okay. I, okay. I mean, I've done snow tubing. Snow tubing is always fun. <laughs> okay. I was wondering how it compared, you know, the, the amount of – you know, drag that you're experiencing from the sledding and the gravity and all that kind of stuff versus the wakeboarding. But uh, yeah, I've never done that before, so I could not tell you. <laughs> I'm a little surprised. I, I, you know, I figured that that would have been one of those things that you may have uh, experienced. No, can't say I have. That's okay. Are you a water person or just do you prefer, you know, mountains and rivers and such? Uh, you know, it depends. When I was at Keesler for tech school i enjoyed being at the beach uh what they called a beach at least uh-huh. um it just depends on the environment i adapt to whatever environment i put in and i have not been around water enough to say yes i'm definitely a beach guy or uh-huh. more a mountain guy so i couldn't give you an accurate answer on that no that's totally fine um yeah i've done a little bit of it all and i thought for a long time that i was a mountain person i think i'm more of a beachy person though um, but at the same time, if, you know, this was a perfect world, it would be like 65 degrees all the time. And mm-hmm. that's not agreeable at the beach. You know, I'll, I'll take what I can out of those two options, but, uh, we'll see. Yeah, for sure. So do you have any plans for California and Hawaii in the future? Uh, um, I want to go to Hawaii just to go to the Pearl Harbor Memorial there. A uh, sure. big thing that I like to do is try and something on my bucket list is to travel to one, uh, one national park per each state, or at least, you know, at least 50 different national parks. Cause I grew uh, up to going to Yellowstone literally every year of my life, awesome. something I took for granted until I got into the military. I didn't realize I'd miss it as much as I have. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I've traveled to Mount Rushmore to, you know, I want to go to Yosemite in California. Um, I love traveling to different national parks just because it's something really cool. Sure. Yeah, Yosemite is amazing. I've been there a number of times. I've been to Yellowstone too. Um, I wish I had done that more though. I, I've gone to Yosemite maybe three times. But Yellowstone, I just, I, I remember going driving in and it being like a really big wide open area and we had to stop because there were um buffalo it may have been i don't remember honestly it's, what it was buffaloes always get in the road buffaloes or there's a bear or a lot of tourists think they see something so they stop <laughs> and then then you're stuck stopped and you uh-huh. all looking for that eagle that may or may not be in the sky that's yeah i I don't know. If you see it, you see it. You don't need to stop everywhere to exactly. Make sure you see it. Some so some things you do stop for, like obviously all the all the geysers. You know, you sure, got to stop sure. and get get out and look at. And that was something I loved is just running around the boardwalks of the geysers and everything. Uh-huh. 
and always making sure that you knew you were on top of what could be a volcano one day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember when that that story, uh, I shouldn't say when it started circulating, but I, I remember when I was first told about it. And I think that that was probably my first experience of just like existential dread. <laughs> like that, I, I don't want to compare the two necessarily, but I feel like that was kind of my, my Cuban missile crisis. Yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> so you have all these places you've been to. What's your goal for an overseas assignment? Japan. 100% Japan. I went TDY there to Misawa, and mm-hmm. it was amazing. I hope to be able to get stationed somewhere out in Japan and retire out there. Uh, I plan on being a lifer, so I really would love to be back out there. The people were great. The The language, I feel like I could pick up on a lot easier than most languages. Um, I mean, granted, if you're immersed in any language, it could be easy. Sure. Um, but the the mannerisms of the locals is just amazing i loved i love japan now i haven't traveled to other countries yet so uh, like i said i'm gonna give other countries a chance but sure. from what i can tell from people who have traveled the world they're like yeah japan's a pretty solid place i would love to go um my wife's next trip she's got on the mind is uh ireland and scotland though so we'll do that um I'm not complaining. I get a lot of the foods I like that way and uh, a lot of the drink I like. So that's, that's okay with me. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, so you, you're drawn to, to Japan. Mm-hmm. The, besides the people, is there like a difference? How do I say this? Is there a difference but, between Japan and the U.S. that makes it more attractive? It's it's the culture, it's the mannerisms, it's just how, I don't know, how generally, so coming from out west, uh, everybody was neighborsome, and, and you get different places, you know, mm-hmm. the U.S. is a fairly large com- country compared to uh, Japan, so, mm-hmm. you know, it could be a concentrated area of Misawa being a small city, and them going like, oh, that guy, we don't know that guy, let's be friends with that guy, you know. Mm-hmm. But I felt that a lot of people were uh, very polite out there and just, I don't know, I just had good feelings about it, you know. And when you you go somewhere and you just have, like, good feelings about it, you just, you stick to that good feeling. So when you talk about that, it sounds like um, generally people like things that they are somehow attracted to or want to emulate. Do you think that you emulate that kind of neighborly vibe? Uh, I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope so. Uh, people think that I have some sort of neighborly vibe to myself and that I uh, generally emulate a good person. Um, my wife and I, so like I said, we come from out west where everybody, every neighbor knows each other. Uh-huh. However, here, where we live in a complex, I don't even know my neighbor. We yeah. saw somebody move out, and we, I helped him move out, and I became friends with him right as he was moving out, so I never <laughs> saw him again. Sure. Um, and then this new neighbor who moved in, we delivered cookies to, but had an extremely awkward situation with him, and uh, don't want to talk about that. That's okay. <laughs> so, you know, we try to be neighborly as best as possible, we'll try to emulate that, because you know, my biggest thing is I like to treat people how I wish to be treated. And I would definitely want somebody to be neighborly to me so I can have more of a community sense with where I'm living. Because if I don't feel comfortable with where I'm living, what's the point of living there? You know? Sure, sure. So I, you're reminding me of, of a situation my wife and I got myself into a while ago. Um, we have always tried to treat people a lot better than how we Um, would want to be treated and that sounds kind of strange when I say it out loud Um, no that's that's called empathy (laughs) yeah 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 well we have like we've done some crazy stuff for people before Um, I had a friend who was having a birthday and a lot of his friends that he knew that I didn't know were moving away uh, just for college and whatever else they're moving away for um so we decided that we were going to try and do something special for him. And have you ever seen the movie Patch Adams? 
No, can't so, say I have. I'm not a movie buff. That's okay. That's okay. Um, it's Robin Williams, just kind of crazy antics with medicine. So we decided we were going to kind of try and recreate one of the scenes from the movie, and we blew up, I don't even know how many balloons, and we stuffed them inside of his bedroom. Oh, man. Um, it took us about three hours, and then when we got all the balloons into his room, it probably only came up to your knee, which was a little disappointing. Mm-hmm. But he walked in, and these balloons come you know, attacking his feet when he opens it, and we're all laying down on the ground so he can't see us. And we all pop up and just try and we got him. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody walks in thinking that there's going to be balloons all over the ground and then people underneath the balloons. I've got a story about that, about balloons, if that's all right. Yeah, go for it. So uh, we had our NCO, uh, an NCO in my flight. Um, He went on vacation for uh, probably a couple weeks. I think it was close to a month. He went on vacation, and so the airman of the shop, as well as we're not gonna, I'm not gonna throw anybody under the bus. Okay. Um, we had a lot of people backing us up and saying that it was a good idea. We had, well, I wanted to participate just by blowing up one balloon. That's all I did. I had a small hand in it, but the other airman had blown up hundreds of balloons and saran wrapped his entire office space his whole cubicle was saran wrapped and then filled to the top of his cubicle space with balloons and had a picture of the bahamas and said had a nice vacation you know it was uh, (laughs) it was a great prank for sure what is his reaction when he sees all that were you there for it uh, he just walked in and just said, all right, I'm done for the day, and walked right out oh. of the office. <laughs> he started playing with the balloons a little bit, but he just kind of took out a knife and started jabbing at them. Sure. You guys ever done any other crazy stuff like that for people? Um, not really, you know. I, so part of the issue with being stationed where we are is a lot of people, you may be in the same flight, but you're not connected work center-wise. And yeah, yeah. so – we don't really get to know, and that's kind of what I want to do as a morale officer is, you know, uh, my flight had designated me flight officer, uh, morale officer. So trying to create connectedness and especially it's difficult, especially now with uh, COVID, you know, being able to create that connectedness. It's, it's hard to do because at some point, you know, I've done this trivia murder party several weeks in a row now. Uh-huh. It's like, okay, I need to come up with something new, but I can't really come up with something new because social distancing and also the fact that, you know, we can't do much. Yep. <laughs> Places are closed. So it's it's hard to come up with morale events. And creating connectivity is a huge importance to me because, you know, a lot of people who are stationed here were away from family um, or, you know, a lot of people may not have family anywhere nearby or may not have people. And all we have are the air force members around us and the friends mm-hmm. we make around us. So it's important to me to be able to create that connectivity between a lot of us, because at the end of the day, we are each other's family. So at the end of the day, what is the, the, how do I say this? If you had like a, a painting Mm-hmm. That was the goal of what you wanted everything to look like um, connectivity-wise. What does that look like within the Air Force? Um, I would just say that uh, people wouldn't be afraid to speak up to anyone. You know, like, uh-huh. if you're going through something, I know that I can text you at 10 o'clock at night and be like, hey, I'm going through some stuff. Help me out. You know, uh-huh. just being able to to know or hey i got a flat tire can you come help me because i know you ha- know how to fix a flat tire obviously i know how to fix a, f- fix a flat but yeah. a lot of people don't so you know just being able to count on people and knowing you can reach out to fellow air force members for issues yeah you know and, and being able to reach out and kind of be a family essentially you know because that was instilled into us or at least I felt it was instilled into me since basic training that we're one big air force family. Uh So creating that family environment of, Hey, we can do stuff together and you don't have to do stuff together if you don't want to, but you know, it'd be nice if we could all get to know each other and getting to know 
each other on a more personal basis rather than, hey, he's a face I work with on a day-to-day basis. Okay. Um, so let's go hypothetical then. If uh, we were able to all be in the same space, what kind of stuff would you do that you think would bring people closer together? Um, you Not know, that I'm trying to take your events no, or anything like that. No, 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 you're fine. <laughs> um, so something I'm talking about doing with my flight is, you know, we cycle different events. Everybody has different hobbies and likes and interests. So going through different types of things for certain people. Another thing I'm doing is I've gotten everybody in my flight's birthdays written down uh, on a document. So what I try to do is get with my flight leadership and say, hey, if they would like a gift card, can we give them a gift card from the flight or give them something that has our flight symbol on it or whatever they you know whatever they would want uh, if they want a morale event do they want to go out for lunch together and we buy their lunch or whatever the case may be just creating some sort of connectivity outside of work you know sure um, I know a lot of people are introverted by nature so they're just absolutely no 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 I don't want that and that's fine you know we can respect that so that's what the gift card options for you know yeah um we're trying to, when this social distancing is over, I want to be able to take everybody to go fishing or just go out for a picnic by a lake, you know, kind of thing, barbecue. Uh-huh. And we all just hang out with nothing other than a barbecue, you know, fishing and some probably like cornhole games or whatever the case may be. Because uh-huh. I know a few of my flight members like to fish. So, and then another morale event could be, centered towards video games because I know a lot of people are in my flight love to play video games you know so it's just like creating variety and knowing that people's hobbies and interests knowing your people it can play a huge factor to participation of morale events a lot of the times too I do like that and I like the the inclusiveness that you've you know we already talked about that a little bit but the the willingness to work around what other people like and what they don't like um it, it leads to the feeling that there shouldn't be any reason why people don't want to get in on something. Exactly. And, and that's kind of the point, you know, I feel like if, you know, mandatory, mandatory fun events are, you know, constantly mandatory and they're constantly things that not many people really want to do. Like, you know, all right, we're doing another picnic. All right. We're doing another, you know, Picnics are great. I'm not jacking them at all. I promise. I definitely do enjoy the the wing picnics that we've had and the squadron events that we've had. They've been wonderful in the past. Um, but just, you know, if you're constantly – I've noticed that if you make something mandatory, people are less likely to enjoy it, you know. Sure. And by catering to people's hobbies and interests and allowing others to maybe explore that hobby and interest with them – it can create another, you know, connection for that person to be like, Hey, I'm passionate about paintball. Maybe if you want to get into paintball, I know a place where you can get some cheap gear. I know where you Mm -hmm. can get into it with me and we could start, you know, and that creates that connection outside of work. And so just being able to branch out, it also offers the opportunity for people to branch out outside of their normal hobbies and interests. I, yes, yes, is my answer. (laughs) Um, I so a a part of this is I like to the podcast I mean is um, getting to know people Mm -hmm. Um, now I I have a couple questions for you but I just want to be totally clear Um, Mm -hmm. first is I want to know about the the success that you've had with that outlook and um, just how that's gone but secondly I maybe first actually if you don't mind answering it first what kind of um, pushbacks or I don't want to say failures, but just um, a time when it maybe didn't come to fruition. I think it's important to highlight those things because it shows that we're not, you know, that an effort is being made and it's being a consistent effort instead Mm -hmm. of someone just seeing, Hey, you know what? That, that guy did something. I'm not going to be able to do that because I'm going to mess it up and not get a result. Right. Yeah. I definitely think it's important to uh, learn from failures, you know, in this past, uh, I don't know if you've watched the hanging with Hughes at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, when he had the, uh, the wing chief there, yeah. um, I had asked the question, you know, what do you do for when you 
don't make promotion or when you, what resiliency tactics do you have for that kind of stuff? And cause that's important to me. I, I struggle with failure. I really do. Um, but the most important thing I would say is learning from that failure. I've definitely had plenty of failures from these morale events. Um, we'll only have the first week I did it. We only had myself flight commander and flight chief, you know, <laughs> nobody else showed up. Okay. Um, as time has gone on more, more and more people have showed up and more and more people have realized, Hey, it's actually something that's kind of fun. You know, it, it's just something that's developed over time. Um, I've had failures. Uh, the pushbacks have been from, you know, Hey, we can't afford that. Or people don't want to do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's only one person who wants to do that and they could do that all on their own. Um, it's also been from work centers, you know, being able to be let out of work and, you know, uh, affording that kind of thing. Another big failure is participation. You know, like I said, the first time it was only three people. So, in reality, it just comes down to individuals wanting to. And if there's no want to, then there's no need to. But if you make a consistent, uh, like I said, I've been trying to do it on a weekly basis. If I've made it consistent, people know that, you know what, this isn't actually something that's just wishy-washy happening one time so he can get a bullet. It's something that actually is consistent and he genuinely enjoys to do. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should participate. I, I don't know. You know. You know what I mean? If that no, makes I, any sense. I honestly, I totally understand, especially with, you know, doing this podcast, I want to crank out as many of these as I possibly can, because every time I do one, I have a different feeling um, when it comes to an end um, that I enjoy. So I do what I can to line up as many people as I can um, so that I can you know, get people's perspectives and people can understand other people. And uh, so I totally understand. Um, I think that the, the big thing is that once people know that you're passionate about something, that's when they start to care. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's a part of my philosophy here is, you, you know, we start off, we talk about paintball. I have a very limited experience with paintball, but you're passionate about it. So we'll go there and we'll talk about that because that's what you like. And if I don't know anything, at least I come out educated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely feel that that is how events go most often though. Um, people just write it off. or like, you know what? I got something better to do with my time, mm-hmm. which is fine. Everyone has their priorities. Um, you know, but just, at some point in time, try and make the people around you a priority, which I 100% feel like you've been doing for quite a while. I definitely try to, um, you know, as a senior airman that I just tested for staff sergeant for the first time and I'm hoping I make it, you know, cross my fingers. <laughs> How do you feel about it? Uh, I felt pretty good ish. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, as a 3d, I have both the PFE and the SKT needless to say the SKT was kind of hard but uh from what i've been told from other commanders and not commanders but flight chiefs and you know ncos who have taken it they're like yeah skt is always going to be hard because you're not at a normal air force base sure and uh you know it's also those they take those one sentence in the middle of the paragraph that you never think would be a question (laughs) so uh you know i felt good going into it but Something I've tried to do uh, as an airman who may or may not be an NCO one day is getting to know the people around me and I and and having empathy uh, and mm. you know those are now things being hammered down uh, as NCO concepts. I've watched the you know the professional developments and the many things held by uh, Tech Sergeant Baptiste, which mm-hmm. I believe you interviewed as well. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, having those moments of empathy and getting to know the people around you is, is huge to create team success. I feel, Mm -hmm. um, because if you're not, if you're just using them as a face who, if you're just telling people what to do without purpose, you know, I don't, I don't know. That just feels like I'm telling you something to do and I don't really care what you think, you know, if that makes any sense? No, 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 it totally does. Um, that 
that focus on on people instead of uh, like how you said before, it's, the focus is on people, not on oh, this is a bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do this for my own enjoyment. Um, this makes me feel like I'm a part of the squadron. Um, whether it's on a more personal level or a professional level, I don't really know because it kind of goes both ways. Right. Um, but I'm not here for some ulterior motive, and I I get that sense from you definitely. Yeah, and it's 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 something I feel that the Air Force should definitely shift focus on is this is about the people. You know, with the suicide prevention, it's about the people, the people yeah. you're supervising, the people who are around you. You know. It's it's just a huge it's a huge thing to me is making sure that people should come first and rather than I mean obviously mission always but yeah. I think people first mission always you know yeah, I think that should be a huge focus and I'm glad that the Air Force is shifting to that kind of focus. So with your um, you know that shift is starting as you say what do you think is a good direction for us to what kind of change could be made that would implement that better you think i think having empathy just understanding how empathy works Mm -hmm. uh uh, giving people an understanding of what it's like to walk in another person's shoes Mm -hmm. you know you can't really and that would generate sympathy right but i think empathy just is the biggest thing that we can do because obviously, you know, I, I don't want to touch on political, but I don't know what it's like for a black person in this time. Sure. Right. And so I'm trying to create empathy by imagining what it would have been like for them, what it, this injustice must feel like and talking mm-hmm. to my fellow wingmen who are, you know, who are minorities just talking to people and and understanding how they are feeling because I could never imagine what it would feel like. Right. So it's a huge thing just to talk up and down, you know, we are all wingmen, you know, sometimes I feel like uh, BMT has instilled in us that rank is, is a barrier, but I feel like in my personal experience, I've view I've always respected rank or I feel like I've always respected rank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, we are all people and it's important to talk up and down the chain, not just below you, not just your, your junior enlisted, but also talk to your NCOs and ask them how they're doing, you know, mm-hmm. what, what's going on with their lives. If they don't want to tell you, that's fine. But just having them know that you care in some sort of way, generating healthy conversations both ways as opposed to just in your own rank structure i feel is hugely important i would have to agree with you um i there's no possible way i can uh defend otherwise um yeah people are people first and they that was a person before they joined the military um yeah i you should probably just take over this podcast for me because <laughs> that's the whole philosophy I've got going here. Um. No, no, it's, 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 it's been my life philosophy uh, since even before getting in is just understanding how people work and caring for everybody. Cause my end goal life philosophy, everybody needs somebody. Right. And I hate to, this sounds weird saying it, but, you know, even murderers need somebody to talk to because, you know, they're still a person. Obviously, what they did, murderer, was wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, there's something that it's happened a, to them. Yeah, a basic necessity for that kind for interaction. Right. And I, it, it, I think what this social distancing has shown a lot of people is that socializing is a basic human necessity rather than a um a luxury right like Mm -hmm. people are realizing oh crap like i actually enjoy going out and talking to people who i've never met before yeah or or being extroverted like i never i personally thought i was an introvert for the longest time but then social distancing happened and i was like oh dang (laughs) like 
I really miss going to work. Like I actually like the people I work with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that one. I, so I've been out for a little while medically. Um, so that, that's driven me insane. It's, you know, a big part of, of me not being able to function, I shouldn't say function in the squadron. That sounds bad, but not no, me no. being able to take part <laughs> actively. Um, right. I came up with solutions for myself. Like I started making food and taking it to the shop. Yeah. Um, I started this. There's, yeah, there's, there's solutions for it. Um, Absolutely. I, I think the the biggest thing is, you know, it's up to an individual to decide how connected they want to be mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day. You know, I can shove morale events down somebody's throat for every week, but at the end of the day, it's their choice to come out to them. And I think that's it. Making those things a choice is, is important because you know, I've known people who are just like, you know what? I may be in the uniform and we may be family and yeah, you can call me in the middle of the night, but I don't want to really have much of an association with you outside of work, which is fine. You know, people can live how they want to live, but you know, to those who don't have much, I speaking from a personal basis is the connections I have within the air force are extremely important to me because everybody to me is a family and especially the blue Knights uh, throughout the years, having this, having, you know, Colonel Wetzel uh, has been a blessing. It's been amazing. Um, it's been a huge change of course of, of command. And it's, I think the command team we have is amazing. So, and the connections that we have are just phenomenal. I have never felt more connected as a squadron than we have in today with the slack, with the, with the teams, with Mm -hmm. everything. I've never felt more connected to a squadron than we have during this quarantine, which is kind of weird. (laughs) I, so I, I agree with you. Um, when you brought up how it's, it's a choice. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot recently with the way that things are, uh, people have the option to reach out and communicate with other people. And whether we want to acknowledge it or not, I believe that everyone right now is struggling a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a choice whether you want to reach out to somebody else and say, I just want someone to talk to for a while or something like that. Um, I've been having that problem myself lately. I um, have been home for a long time. I'm taking care of my newborn daughter. Um, by myself during the days because my wife is working. Um, so I have to consciously make an effort to say, hey, this is what's going on in my head. Like I just need mm-hmm. a little bit of time or something like that. Um, and that's a conscious decision that I don't normally make because I am an introverted person. Um, there's a lot of thoughts going on that I just don't share. So I have to make sure that I say, hey, this is what's going on. Um, so what do you say about those people who, not to speak ill of them, because I really don't think that way, but right. uh, people who make the conscious decision to either not make a decision or to uh, suppress their need? Right. Um, I wouldn't even say they're suppressing it. Um, you know, like I said, people can be introverted, extroverted. So... Mm-hmm. I don't think they're suppressing it. I think that's who they are, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe something, you know, like people we're, we are people first and uh, some people have gone through traumatic things that just make them not want to be social mm-hmm. uh, or they have an extremely hard shell that needs cracked. Right. Like in, in a sense, if that makes sense yeah, it at does. all. So it, it's up to, us as a team to just let them know that hey you're more than just a face to us like Mm -hmm. yeah i've heard of your name before um but i'm willing to make that connection to you if that makes sense i've seen you around if you want to be friends if you want to reject it that's fine 
you know, and I really don't have a solution to that because I don't know what it's like to want to reject that kind of social interaction sure. and reject the, the connections to work. No, I like that answer. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk for a second about your Blue Night of the Month award. Okay. Um, tell me about what got you that. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I was being myself. <laughs> uh, I, I believe the morale events and dorm dinner were the huge factors of it. Okay. Uh, and I think my leadership had really endorsed me in ways that I didn't know I could be endorsed. <laughs> um, okay. I just felt like I was doing what I was passionate about. You know, I wasn't really trying for an award. I wasn't, I was doing it because I wanted to do things. Um, I, probably partly to taking on a huge physical challenge of doing a century bike ride was it was a huge factor of that um i did that with a fellow captain uh, an old flight commander of mine uh and he did the whole hundred miles i only did a hundred k but i still did a hundred so that's that's a century, <laughs> century yep. um where did that it, take you uh i just rode around the bwi loop Oh, okay. Six times. <laughs> oh my gosh! It was it was tedious. We started at five thirty in the morning, and I was done at four o'clock, I believe, somewhere around there. Oof. Oh my gosh! I had a total seat time of almost six hours. So, how long did he go for? Uh, he ended up finishing his around six o'clock, I think, five thirty, six o'clock, and wow. he. He has a road bike, and I only had a mountain bike, so I was a lot slower than him. Sure. <laughs> so he was always ahead. That's crazy. And he, he's also done century rides before in the past, I guess. So he had uh, seven hours of total seat time, just like seven hours and 15 minutes, I believe, somewhere around there. That's crazy. I, I did a, um, a bike ride with a, a bunch of guys I knew where we started – it was in California, but we went down Highway 1, which is the, the highway that goes along the coast. Um, mm -hmm. That just about killed me. So I, I can only imagine going for a century. I've always wanted to do that. I, I really have. It's been amazing. I love scenery. That's why I do bike rides. I've, I ride to Annapolis a lot of the time. I just take the oh, B&A wow. trail. Uh -huh. It's amazing. It's, it's a great straight shot to Annapolis. <laughs> And then you get to be up on the beach and uh, by the bridge there, and uh -huh. you can you can really enjoy Annapolis just biking around there. And then then you remember you have to bike the twenty five miles back home, and then you're yeah. like, oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it took me two hours to get here. Oh man, you got to debate real quick if you're going to call your wife. <laughs> I've done that many a times. <laughs> I've called. I've called my wife for rescue before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I would probably do the same exact thing, to be totally honest. I 25 miles is not, you know, people say, oh, it's on a bike. No, that's that's 25 miles. It doesn't matter how you cut it. How long yeah. does it take you? Uh, Like I said, two hours, two hours and 15 minutes-ish, somewhere around there. Yeah, that's two hours and 15 minutes of cardio. It's totally acceptable that you would. Five hours of cardio total. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, I I might have to try that. I might have to get a bike and give it a go. Uh, yeah. If you if you always want to, you know, yeah, uh, you've got you've got my email. So absolutely, yeah. I'm connected. <laughs> yeah, we're connected exactly. now. <laughs> exactly. You know what? Let's um, getting pretty close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Let's get towards the end here. Let me sure. let me go and do some takeaways for this really quick. Sure. Um, I really get the feeling that I, I I know for a fact that the people are your your focus. Um, I when I talked to Master Sergeant Davis, that was definitely a big part of what came across when she had brought you up. Um, was just that people are what you're passionate about and that you want people to know that you're there and that you're available and that you want everybody to feel that same connectedness that you want. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. You 100% um, cemented that in my mind just by talking today when, you know, I, I really like the strength that it, it there is strength in you saying, I don't know um, to the idea of someone else 
reacts a different way on a, on a mental uh, on a mental basis. Someone who rejects the um, what is my right word? I can't it's a like necessity. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. But somebody somebody who needs a some distance mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Um, I really look up to the way that you just say that's how they are and that's okay. I don't need to try and change them. It's how they are. Mm -hmm. um, I do get that neighborly vibe. Um, you go and you help people. That's something people don't do now. Or at least not here. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate. I, um, I feel like the um, you being at certain bases would be advantageous to you. Not that this isn't a good place for you. I just feel like mm -hmm. places that foster communities better would be somewhere that you would really... I already think you've bloomed. I, th I, I think that you would um, be a, a totally different force of resiliency and just straight up entertainment. Uh, <laughs> um, people would do well to, to just spend time with you and, and get to know you because I, I do feel like you are one of those people who brings out the best in others and that you want everyone to succeed. Um, I yeah. like the perspective that you have with um, the way that um, you know, moving around has kind of helped you see different things, helped you experience other things. Um, even then, it's very grounded. Mm -hmm. uh, I like the charity work also. Um, let's talk about that for just one second. Sure. Um, so you have the, the breast cancer and you have the autism awareness. Yep. Where are people able to find those um, charity streams? So uh, we don't uh, you can find our event um, through our Facebook page. Uh, Team Defiance uh, on Facebook is the only media outlet we have right now because uh, we used to have a website, but our website kind of started getting too expensive. And uh -huh. I, apparently I was the only one using it to <laughs> advertise our team. So, okay. um, but you can always directly donate to, uh, to Pathfinders uh, for Autism uh, on their website as well as uh, Red Devils. So they always are accepting donations as far as I'm aware. Um, and the charity event, I believe, is tentatively October 4th at NR Paintball. Uh, if people want to come out, it's going to be all proceeds going towards charity. We're also going to have raffles of various paintball gear and, and not even uh, non-paintball gear. We'll have, uh, I know, uh, we got a custom Pathfinders uh, Yeti mug that we're going to be auctioning or hmm. raffling off as well. So, um, and all proceeds of the raffle are going straight to the charities as well. So, um, all proceeds are we we do it for charities. We don't do it for ourselves. We do it for other people, um, and that's a huge part of us is just making sure other people are taken care of and other people are having fun. And you know, we don't we don't really care. Well, I. I like a lot of the stuff that we talked about. I feel like you and I, I don't, we've talked very briefly and vaguely about your wife, but I feel like your wife and my wife with us would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe that has to happen at some point in time. We'll see. Um, yeah, absolutely. But until then, we've already kind of done a little plug for you. Is there anything else that you want to say to anyone? Um, not really. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm so bad. You're good. I keep forgetting the last part I like to do also. Um, my last couple questions for you. Sure. Number one, what are you grateful for? Everything. Everything and anything. <laughs> I have, I'm, I'm not joking either. Um, I have, when I was a sophomore in high school, I had the grateful opportunity to take part in a 30-hour uh, fast. Uh -huh. Oh my goodness, that was the hardest thing I have ever done. Uh, it was also to raise awareness and funds for uh, building a well out in, in Africa and stuff like that. It was a church event from mm -hmm. one of my friends. But from that point on, I was eternally grateful for any and all food that I had received. <laughs> okay. And I was eternally grateful for anything that I was, I was grateful to get because uh, I know plenty of people who are making struggling to to 
make payments on anything on uh, on rent and on food and are struggling to basically live. Um, and I've known people who have been homeless. I've been homeless myself before the military. So it's, I'm grateful for everything in my life. Any mm. little blessings I can receive. I always, if I'm ever in a, in a bad spot, I always know that it could always be worse. And I actually, uh, when I went back home um, to my hometown for a little while, uh, I watched, I went into a coffee shop and there was this, uh, they were doing like an open mic night thing kind of, uh, and they had this, this gentleman, he was raspy, you know, typical, like Southern type of guy. I uh -huh. didn't live in the South by the way, but he just was, the, he gave off all those vibes. He had this long beard, came out with an electric guitar and he's, he's like, this song's dedicated to all the military and all those hard workers, the construction workers. And I was like, all right, cool. And then, uh, you know, everybody in the coffee shop was like, that guy right there, he's military. And he's <laughs> like, well, this one's for you. I was like, oh, great. Okay, cool. I just wanted my coffee, whatever. Uh, but he gave me this little, like, wooden chip with a smiley face on it at the end of his song. And on the back of it, it just says it could always be worse. And I genuinely think that, you know. Sure. If my life is ever going down, I know it could be worse. I know people who are struggling. and I am eternally grateful to not be going through that struggle yeah that's great um next up is what are you proud of i i am not a humble person i don't have any i, I always think that i'm not good enough so i don't have anything i'm proud of i you know i don't toot my own horn at anything um I would say I'm proud of my knowledge basis for technology and yeah. how much I've overcame. Cause when I tell people my story and uh, you know, there's a lot of personal life aspects I didn't go into with sure. this. Uh, but in retrospect, I have conquered a lot and a lot of things and I am proud of where I've come. And I think a lot of people can, do the same thing if you've ever looked at your life in retrospect you can kind of be like wow i've made it pretty far i have progressed in my life and i think if you haven't um at some point you have at some point you have overcame some sort of challenge mm -hmm. and i think it's hugely important to try and reflect on some sort of challenge you have overcame i yeah that's a good answer honestly uh, that is something to be proud of is the the uh things that we overcome and that we can say we've gotten past um and then the last little bit the last little question i have for you is what kind of advice what little bit of advice would you like to give to people no uh always 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 reach out to anybody you think needs it without a doubt always reach out to people um, and know the people you surround yourself with, know their habits, know their norms and talk to them about their lives. Um, you, you can never know somebody too much uh -huh. in my opinion. Um, you can never overshare either. It's hugely important to, to get to know people. That's great. So that wraps us up. Um, for anybody listening, this has been Spotlight 32. If you want to be part of the program, you can email me at spotlight32podcast at gmail.com. Until then, have a good one, guys.